workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll discover an aspiring actress whose role in a workplace drama cast her globally in the role of a leading lady. For every listener and leader aspiring to become a star, today's guest is for you. She has spoken in 14 countries, delivered TEDx talks, and written for Harvard Business Review about the power of agency and about how to be the ultimate. Bonnie Lowe Craman. Welcome to the show today, Bonnie. Thank you, Karen. And that has to rate of my one of my favorite introductions. I love that. It's so cool. Whole show business thing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, you know what they say: there's no business like show business, right? Yeah, it was quite a ride, and none of it was planned. It's crazy. Well, and because we're talking about the world of work, I like to ask every guest on the show. What was your first nine to five job and how did that job influence your career trajectory? I had wanted to be an actress. I graduated with a degree in theater and English from Rutgers University in New Jersey, where I'm from. And when I was not successful trying to be an actress for three months, I gave it three months and then I threw up my hands and said, well, I have to get a job. I took a job in a theater box office in suburban Chicago, Illinois, and that was my first nine to five job, making four twenty-five an hour. And I learned so much. I know I'm dating myself. I learned so much though about people and the different personalities in the workplace. And I was working with a woman who she was my supervisor. And she'd been there for 16 years. And in my head, fresh out of college, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I'm going to be able to learn so much from her. Well, three weeks in to the job, she calls me into her office one day and she said, I'm resigning and I'm making you the manager. And I, and she gave me a raise to 450 an hour. So I got a quarter raise, but in a heartbeat, I was made a manager and I didn't know how to be a manager. And the truth is I was a terrible manager at first. And that was my first lesson in understanding just because somebody calls you a manager doesn't mean you're a good one. And so there were a lot of lessons. I'm so grateful to have had that first job uh, being in the, the center of where actors and producers and directors were coming through and just getting to have a front row seat to all of these people and, and what make people tick, what motivates them. Really interesting. Like what's important to one is very different than what, what's important to another. For any first time managers listening or long time managers, I mean, I think we all have those moments that stand out, whether it's the first 360 performance feedback and you read the comments and you think, how am I working so hard 
and showing up so poorly. And when I was watching your TEDx talks and reading your, your Harvard Business Review articles, I was shocked by your statistic about the average age at which managers and leaders receive their first training about how to do that job well. Take us inside that story. Oh boy, uh, it is a key story to what motivated my new book called Staff Matters coming out in February of 2023. I was in London at a conference. I was going to be speaking at the conference and I was standing at the back of the room as I watched the opening speaker deliver her talk. And there were about 250 high level executive assistants in the room. And she asked a question of the audience that I hadn't heard asked before. And this was 2012. And she asked the audience, how many of you feel well managed? And Karen, from the back of the room, I watched very few hands go up, maybe 25. And most were very hap lackadaisical, very kind tentative, of- Tentative, like- Yeah, very tentative. And some were, yes, uh, you know, absolutely, I feel well-managed. But, the, the, but the vast majority of the people did not raise their hands. And we're talking seasoned assistants in this room. These were not babies. These were professionals. And I remember thinking at that moment, what is going on? Why is it? Because these people would be honest. Why is it that they're that they do not feel well-managed. I came home to the United States and I started doing research and found an article in Harvard Business Review written by Jack Zenger. And Jack and I have since, you know, we know each other and I've been in his audiences and he's written leadership books. Jack and his team did research of 7,000 leaders around the world and they, they asked them, they figured out the average age that a leader gets their very first training in managing people. And it was 42. This was mind blowing information to me. And it sounds like it was for you too, because this explains it. I thought, aha, this was my uh moment. I thought this explains why so few hands were raised. It's not that leaders are setting out to be poor leaders. But like me, when I was told you're the manager, I didn't know how. I didn't, I had my degree in theater and English. I learned acting. I learned lighting. I didn't learn how to manage a staff. And nor did those leaders who were managing those mostly women, the profession of assistance is 93 to 97% female. So these women feel poorly managed because their leaders haven't learned how. And then further, Jack Zenger and team did the same poll in 2021. I listened to the podcast and again, it, my mind exploded because the number has gone up. The average age is now 46. So, you know, for me, it all comes down to solving the things that are broken in our workplace, like many things, for me, comes down to education and training. I, I think more, much more of it is needed, clearly. If, and I, I completely agree that those statistics are correct because in 14 countries, I asked those, that same question in the rooms of my students and the results are essentially the same as what happened in London in 2012. 
Expectations without education is risky business. I mean, that's what strikes me from what you said. We have these expectations that leaders will be driving outcomes, certainly, and you know, managing productivity, let's say. And at the same time, we have an increasing expectation of this high level of emotional intelligence and empathy, and yet we are not training people with those skills. We're not reskilling leaders to know how to do this. And in fact, you and I were talking pre-show that we don't even have a lot of support from state mandates or laws either. So, so let's talk about some of this workplace training that, that needs to go even a right. step further. Well, so let me just share that after I discovered that statistic, I started looking at business school curriculum. And in fact, that course is not really there in most curriculum. And so my head was like, well, if, if leaders are not getting it in business school, where then should they get it? And then of course that leads you to, well, they're going to get out of college and then get their first job and like, here, meet, meet Jesse. She's your assistant and here's your team. Just because someone is great at accounting does not equate to being a great manager of the team who supports the accountant. It's just not logical. So what I discovered fairly recently was that only six out of 50 states in America require sexual harassment training, any kind of behavioral cultures of respect training. And that was another aha moment, frankly, because if, you know, obviously then the other states, it's, it's optional and it's left up to their discretion of company leaders. But Karen, you and I both know that this kind of training costs money. So it's a choice, but we've got this landscape of the great resignation. We've got lots of people quitting and we know that many people have quit in the aftermath of the pandemic due to uh, toxic work environments caused by poor leadership. And we've just talked about why that is. So for me, it comes down to where are company leaders in 2022 and beyond going to spend their money? Are we going to continue? Are they going to continue spending money trying to replace the people who have made their stampede to the exit, you know, that's very expensive to replace people. Or are we going to spend the money and invest in the people who are already on the payroll, who are all, who already were painstakingly hired in the first place? And I think we would agree that it's, I think it's much more uh, sustainable. It's a more sustainable solution to invest in the people you already have. I think that's the solution going forward, and I, and I will sing that from the mountaintops for as long as I can breathe. <laughs> you used a phrase that resonates with me about the toxic workplace. You know, this is the first time employees are standing up in mass, demanding, in a sense, different working conditions or making an exit. And what inspired this entire Success From Anywhere podcast is I started thinking about work. You know, where do we get these workplace norms? And I realized it's as much about our 
lived experience as it is about popular portrayals in the media. And when we think about this relationship between leaders and executive assistants and assistants, what's popularized in the media is this portrayal like Mad Men or The Devil Wears Prada. This contributes to a notion of not only what assistants do, but also how they can be treated or creates norms. So what are some of the biggest myths and misconceptions that we all need to be challenging right now about the role of the executive assistant that you're so passionate about? Yeah, you know, mass media has such power to shape perception. And as funny as a movie is like nine to five, it's not doing executive assistants any favors really because, you know, it paints, a, it's, it's from 1980, but most people, uh, you know, are familiar with the notion of the abusive manager who their, their only recourse is to string him up in his office and keep him and kidnap him. And of course, in real life, that can't happen. But, so what's happening in real life is that there's a lot that's going unsaid in the workplace about how staff is feeling about how their managers are treating them. And so certainly in the land of executive assistants, uh, it's, it's a very a happy reality that the Harvard Business Review article that I wrote has gotten shared, has been shared so much. I mean, A, assistants around the world were celebrating the fact that, that a publication like Harvard Business Review actually cared about the role because uh, my own feeling and many of the leaders in the assistant space and the administrative space agree that part of the disconnect is because the, the, the profession is so dominated by females. And females, many assistants would agree that despite negative treatment in the workplace, they're in their head, they believe they need to be grateful for the job and they just need to put their heads down and get it done no matter what it takes. And if that means taking work at home and doing work at night and on the weekends, they are going to do whatever it takes to not reveal what they don't know, to not give anyone a reason to let them go. Because so many women are, you know, in, I'm generalizing, but in, in 14 countries, it's, there's certain things I'm pretty, I'm very rock solid about. And one of them is that, you know, when you have single moms, when you have women who are just making ends meet and not making a fair salary, they are reluctant to rock the boat, to put themselves in any kind of jeopardy, especially their children in jeopardy of not being able to put food on the table. That is terrifying for so many women. And it's not to say that doesn't happen for men as well, but women are reluctant to speak about it. And the aftermath of the pandemic and the strong job market has finally given women more courage to speak up about what they need. And the whole workplace was thrown into such chaos anyway, and there was so much change anyway, I got to tell you, executive assistants knew way before the pandemic that a hybrid work schedule is really the ideal one. You know, we're two days in the office, three days at home or flip that. They were 
advocating for that years ago. And I have heard it personally, you know, we had these conversations and the pan and leaders were reluctant to do that until the pandemic. And then the pandemic forced it, you know, so there's a slide I use in our, in our workshops that say assistants often know better. They truly do. And for the leaders listening to this podcast, it's not you versus them. It, the very best companies are led by leaders who see themselves in collaboration with the staff. And that's not like a kumbaya, like nice to do, you know, clouds and rainbows story. That's smart business as far as I can see. So the myth, the myth is that the leaders are here and staff is here in the workplace of 2022 and beyond. It has got to be a, a collaboration and a, and a new way of thinking that the hierarchies of, of pre-pandemic times are not working anymore. And I, I truly believe they're gone forever, mainly because of the complexity of what this new workplace is presenting, you know, the proliferation of technology and, you know, like, let's have some empathy for leaders. If they were not trained how to manage people before the pandemic, nobody was trained on how do you manage people who are partially at home, partially in the office, partially you've never met them in person. They, humans are meant to be together. I mean, perhaps you've noticed, I mean, Karen, this is the, the best, the next best thing to be looking at each other this way, but there's such power when we can actually be in rooms together. So there's a, there's a lot of mythology um, around this role, but the smartest leaders are recognizing that executive assistants can be very strong business partnerships, partners in this workplace, and to underestimate and not leverage that brain power um, would be a miscalculation, I think. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. Assistants are essential contributors to the success of the people they support. I mean... I think over time of the fantastic assistants I've been fortunate to work with, <laughs> I can remember one looking at me one day when she could see I was in complete chaos. And I remember her just calmly staring into my face and saying to me, let go, let Tara. And I was like, yes. And it underpinned the trust that's vital in those relationships when we think about how to create this collaborative environment between leaders and assistants that we're talking about, how do we make this transition? I mean, what are the investments we need to make in training up the assistants and in training up the leaders for that to be an effective partnership? What do we all need to know? Where do we need to skill up? How do we change this conversation? Okay, um, and I will be as concise as I can be because it's, it's multi-layered, but these are not hard fixes, Karen. 
It begins with the language we're using on the website, on materials about the culture of the company. Most companies have a, a careers tab on the workplace. Where is anybody going to go if they're looking to work at any given company? They're going to go to the website. And so many companies are missing the boat when it comes to that, that space to articulate in words and graphics and videos what it means to work at that company and therefore what the leadership is, is uh, all about. I mean, that's the first kind of step to uh, making that partnership, you know? Um, there's a, a vivid example is there's a black assistant um, in New York City and he said he goes to a company website and if he doesn't see any people of color or any diversity at all in language or graphics or videos, he's like, why should I bother? You know, it sends a message, right? It, that would make a lot of sense. So then it comes down to the creation of a, of a job description that is detailed and not generic. There's so many complaints by assistants that the job description that they get hired in at at companies bears very little resemblance to the one they end up doing. And that makes somebody feel, a staffer feel like, who's asleep at the wheel here, you know? Um, leaders setting expectations. And this comes down to putting time and attention. There's no magic here. Any partnership, any relationship takes hard work. And that means a leader understanding who it is they're hiring and an assistant, a staffer, getting really clear on what their executive wants because it's not one size fits all. There's no one set of rules, which is what leads to the, the confusion and the ambiguity because any assistant might find themselves supporting four executives and they each have their own preferences. And so that's a very special person who can straddle all of that. But a leader, the smartest leaders, take the time to spend time with their staff because it's not only the job description that a, that a staffer's doing, it's what they know from their experience and who they know. That the other complaint that I hear all over the world are assistants who feel under leveraged, that they're not being utilized properly. And that speaks to one of the points you brought up is that the, the most visionary companies, the most advanced companies are the ones who not only do a great job of onboarding staff, but they do a good job of orienting leaders and executives about, it doesn't have to be a long orientation, but it needs to be substantive about, how about we just say it? What do assistants do at the company? What kind of things can you expect them to do? Um, what are things that you cannot ask them to do? And that and those conversations help to cement and build that partnership over time. Uh, it, it, you know, one-on-one -on -one time is necessary between leaders and staff. It, it, as hard as assistants try to read their leaders' minds, they can't do it. And the as fast as people are running these days, and they may be thousands of miles apart, there needs to be an intentional coming together to communicate 
And, if, and the bottom line to all of this, Karen, is what I've come to, there's not enough talking going on in the workplace. There's not enough real talking, real conversations happening between leaders and staff, staff and HR, and then the recruiters, the poor recruiters who are trying to find talent for these generic job descriptions for leaders who don't want to give them the time to tell them what kind of person, what kind of tasks do I need them to do? So all of this takes concerted effort, um, but I'm here to tell you that the very best relationships, the partnerships are the ones where leaders get more time back in their week. They feel more at peace, you know, just like the, the assistant who tethered you down. I've had people do that for me and I've been so grateful. My own assistant who just says, I've got this trust me, give it over and I'll handle it. And the truth is for leaders, even though leaders know how to do their own correspondence, know how to do their own calendaring, I argue it's not the best, it may not, it probably is not the best use of their time. Are they really being paid a million dollars a year or whatever their salary is to do their own calendaring? I don't think so. And one leader, when I said that to him, he looked back at me and he said, you know, Bonnie, I actually like doing my own calendaring and, and correspondence. You know why? Because it's easier than doing the job I'm really supposed to do. And, and I appreciated his honesty there. Uh, does that help? Does that answer your question, do you think? You shared so much wisdom. I mean, playing out of position, whether you're the leader or the assistant, stops someone else short of realizing their full potential and finding purpose in the work they do and feeling their contribution. You highlighted unstated expectations always go unmet, uh, or as Brene Brown would say, unclear is unkind. And what I'm wondering, if we were to modernize right now our vision and view of what an executive assistant does now, what is this contemporary job description and you know, what are the primary responsibilities? What should people be looking for and putting in the job descriptions to find and hire great executive yeah. assistants? That question is, the answer to that question is complicated because leaders are different. There certainly are areas of commonality. Most high level leaders travel a great deal. They get, a, they have to do many meetings in a week and they have to, and they receive many emails. The best assistants are in their executives' inboxes and able to triage, you know, prioritize different um, priorities, that they are a partner attending meetings, sometimes instead of their leaders. It is a collaboration on that magical 24 hours every day. It doesn't matter who you are, right, Karen? That's all we get, that's it, every day. And the question becomes, uh, putting in a job description, the ways that time is being utilized by both leaders and the people supporting them. Uh, so there are assistants out there who are, given the runway and the leeway to adjust the schedule, to evaluate, to really analyze how a leader is using their time and asking the hard questions, is that really 
the best use of executives' time? Can we make that 30-minute meeting a 20-minute meeting? Can, you know, to find the, uh, the best assistance in the job description are tasks all designed to save their leaders time, energy, and to maximize efficiency, maximize effectiveness to, you know, in my own work with Olympia Dukakis, my goal every day was that every task I did was designed to enable Olympia to do the work that only Olympia could do. And I think that's useful as an analogy. So in my head, I could, I could not memorize her lines for her. I could not go to her costume fitting for her. I could not, uh, she actually tried for me to go to a, a, an eye doctor appointment once to fit glasses. And I was like, Olympia, I'm not, I don't have your face, I, you know? So it, leaders are challenged with delegation, but if they've never been trained in how to delegate, then they're, they're over, they can be overwhelmed the, the two leaders, and I have these conversations almost weekly, I advise that step one is to identify those tasks you don't like to do, you're not good at, and, and as Olivia used to say, you know, sometimes you have to throw money at it. Sometimes you just have to throw money at the... <laughs> we have to... The perfect mug for today. I sometimes love it. We do, oh, sometimes well, you do need money to solve challenges, right? I mean, yeah. this isn't all free. Well, you know, we're paying a price somehow. I mean, that's, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Money, it comes down to how leadership is spending money in companies. I believe it's a short-sighted strategy to, you know, cut the administrative staff. Companies that did that are ending up hiring them back because they're realizing they need the support. Um, it, it's just about the use of time and what is going to achieve the goals of leaders and the vision of the company. How is that going to happen? Uh, I just maintain it's not serving anybody to have a revolving door of staff, to permit bullying, to permit sexual harassment, that, that in this uh, new workplace, to build cultures of respect is the smartest way to go because people who believe, really believe that their leaders give a damn are the ones who are gonna stick no matter if they're not being paid as much as the next company. They're not gonna leave uh, a place where they feel valued and respected and fairly compensated and given an opportunity to grow. That's, that's what I've come to. Color coding. I was just in the in a flashback machine based on your comments. And one of the EAs who taught me the most about how to be an effective leader color coded my calendar so that I could easily see how much time I was spending in one on ones versus, you know, governance or team meetings and really honestly mentored me in ways to reclaim some time. And, you know, we were talking about the great resignation now, quiet quitting, and you're passionate about four things that leaders need to do or can do to help right. staff stay. And now in light of quiet quitting, I would say help staff stay engaged. What are yeah. the four? Right. And they are in this order. Um, and this is based on thousands of conversations and all the travel all around the world, that these are the themes that come back. Number one, 
most important is respect. Respect, even when you say the word to people, it resonates. And at our, at our core, we want to feel that we matter. And respect is shown in lots of ways that don't cost any money at all. Things like saying please and thank you and good morning. And the, the uh, assistant who during the pandemic, her parent passed away and executive showed up at that funeral. How respected do they feel? It's respect to, during the pandemic, the, some, a few, C, several CEOs that I even know about, I'm sure there are many more, picked up the phone daily and called staff just to say, how are you? How are you doing? What do you need? What do you need? It is, so respect is a broad term, but it, it, it has many faces. Uh, but there are stories of assistants who have quit jobs because their manager thought it was funny to not pronounce their name correctly. And there's nothing more personal to somebody than their name. And therefore it felt so disrespectful that she quit. So I, I share these seemingly small things, which end up being very big things. And usually when I speak this way, it makes others think back to when they felt similarly. But it's amazing uh, how it matters if a leader comes in and says, good morning, Karen, how, how are you? You know, to, to at least have that nicety. Some leaders will answer that, will hear that and say, I don't have time to say good morning. Well, until we stop being human beings in the workplace, and if in fact a leader wants to retain people, I'm, I say, make time to say good morning and good evening and to say people's names right. Second thing is appreciation. Appreciation is also something that is shown in a variety of ways, but things as simple as in a Zoom meeting before the meeting starts to say, you know, I just want to uh, call out that, that Rob did a super job on, on that project last week and I want to thank him for his hard work. Great job. You know, and then people in the, the meeting are putting up thumbs up or hearts or whatever. It is, these things need to be authentic and real. But in a time, we were talking pre-show about the anxiety and the stress that this pandemic has caused, the mental health issues that are being raised. I mean, you have to be under a rock to not have seen it and to actually see it in real life. You know, the pressures that people have been under during this very crazy time that has been relentless. It's been like this roller coaster that we've been on, like we're going back to the office. No, we're not. You know, it's, it's been stop and start. And you know, we're doing this up, oh, we're not doing that. Yeah, exactly. It can, it can actually be crazy making. And we as humans, we resist change anyway. And wow, we've seen, my theory is that as much as we knew about people before the pandemic, that there's a whole lot we don't we we learned about them during the pandemic you know we now know about people's pets and their home situations and things that we really didn't need to know prior but appreciation is shown by the treatment of others as individual humans that it's we're not cookie cutter we're not a number because the people who feel like they 
they're just a number that they they don't matter they're the ones who are saying why am i working so hard what i want to go somewhere where i'm valued for the talents and skills that i was hired for in the first place you know that honestly these are the words that assistants and and leaders say to me because some leaders feel that way as well hr feels that way sometimes recruiters feel that way the third thing is fair compensation money won't mean anything it won't make somebody stay unless there's respect and appreciation no amount of money so those first two things need to be in place and then leaders need to make it their business to make compensation transparent work towards pay equity which is you know i'm a huge fan as you know of mark benioff and salesforce and the commitment for pay equity between men and women in the workplace it matters so much to know that leaders actually care about this you know there's <laughs> i was having a conversation with a with a leader when i brought up the wage gap between men and women he actually said what wage gap there's no wage gap i don't know what women are complaining about they have it so good when women hear that and some men too you know how loyal can they feel to a leader who feels like that who's so in denial to the reality of what's happening and the fourth thing that staff needs in order to feel committed to work and to not want to leave and would would be in a road over and go, run over by a truck for their leader is the opportunity for growth is investment to have a, an annual training budget to be told yes we support you to keep learning we know you bring these skills and talents to our organization and we want to support you to stay and to learn and grow and that means you know x number of dollars per year for workshops and trainings and you don't have to take vacation days to take it by the way you get paid time off cuz it's so crazy how in some companies they reluctantly get training but oh no you have to take a vacation day to do it and that sends a message of you know not feeling important the, the everyone wants to feel that when leadership says yes take $2000 go to this workshop and come back and teach us to you know give us the benefit of what you've learned that sends a message of i believe in you we we want you here you belong here and we want you to keep growing and learning i i don't know that there's anything more powerful than being told i believe in you and I, it's fine if you make mistakes from time to time because mistakes are going to happen. So those are the four things, and um, and I've and I've gotten confirmation uh, you know, from all over the world that you know one assistant from Italy wrote me like the next day after the TEDx talk aired, and I say these things on TEDx, and and she said you're so right, Bonnie. I, there's we can put up with most anything, but what we can't put up with. is disrespect is feeling like we we don't matter listener looking for an employee experience plan there it is respect appreciation fair pay that's also transparent and quantifiable opportunities for growth 
Now with that, I want to test, Bonnie, your improv skills with your acting background. Okay. I like to do a little virtual water cooler segment so that folks on the show can get to know you as a person a little bit better. So I have five quick questions for you. So picture we're having a five minute spontaneous discussion around the water cooler. Okay. Say whatever comes to top of mind. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> okay, you're, you're getting into character as you learned in your training, I'm sure. So first of all, what time of day do you do your best work? Oh, 5.30 a.m. Morning person. Okay, if there were no dress code, how would you dress for work? Oh, I like looking nice. I want to get dressed. Makeup, not necessarily, but I want to be dressed when I, when I feel like I have, you know, that if I was on camera, no one would say, oh, it's not my style to be sloppy or no, I really do like uh, looking good, as good as I can. What is the part of your routine that you most look forward to each day? <gasps> Coffee. <laughs> Oh, me, if me they too. ever discover that coffee is bad for you, I think I'm just going to have to die. <laughs> no joke. My doctor shared a study with me at one point, you know, that suggested coffee would take years off your life. And my response to him was how many years? And when he couldn't give me an answer, I was like, I'm willing to roll the dice on this. I, I you know what? I'm with you. There's I I'm addicted. I'm, I admit it. I'm an addict. If you could have any job in the world, what would you do? Oh, okay. I would be the head of signage in the United States, the head of, of road and street signage, because it irks me so when I travel, I travel a lot. And I believe New Jersey, where I'm from, is one of the most difficult places to drive. I think GPS has changed our life, but it makes me nuts when the name of a, of a street is the, they've got like three of them in the same town. Um, signs that are covered by foliage, they're faded. Yeah, that would be, you know, and I have my favorite cities where there's great signage, like Las Vegas has great signage, you know, big signs and they're lighted and you get warning. And I think signs, street signs change the quality of our life. That is, that is a show first, signs, signs, everywhere signs. I, I love it. Head of right. signage. Head of signage. Now imagine there are 25 hours in the day instead of 24. How are you going to spend your extra hour? Oh, easy. I would be in a, in a place with whatever place, a playground with my two granddaughters. They're three and a year and a half. And in them, I get inspiration for what's possible. And frankly, I feel like the, the clock is ticking that by the time they're in the workplace, I want some of the things we were talking about in this call to be better, to be fixed. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure of that. Well, and as we close, how can listeners connect with you? And also, what are you most excited about that you're working on with regard to the current workplace? Yeah, I, Karen, I am so excited about this book that's coming out in February of 2023 called Staff Matters. 
I too care about giving a voice to the people in our workplace. And this book does that with case studies and interviews. Over, I've done over 1,500 interviews for this book. And it's, um, I believe it says the quiet things out loud. I think it says so many of the things that are not being discussed in our workplace that are, that are needed. If in fact, the, the training for leaders is not happening in business school, my hope is that this book, Staff Matters, gets on recommended reading lists at business schools as a tool for leaders to, to, I want to cut them to the chase, you know, about what they really need to be alert to. And even if they can't relate to it personally, then at least they will have a, a heads up about like, oh, a reminder, a, a kind of, um, you know, a, a preview of what might happen in the workplace. Uh, my website is my name, bonnielocraman.com. And I have many, many free resources on the website, including a free ebook about workplace bullying and, and, a, and an ebook about anti-racism and how to be an ally. I, my work is about addressing the elephants in the room, the issues that are slowing us down and stopping us dead in our tracks. Because what I've seen is when people are when women, when men are bullied, sexually harassed, they're paralyzed into inaction and it preoccupies our brains. We cannot do great work when we're being disrespected in any way in the workplace. So I want leaders to hopefully start moving their minds towards how do we build cultures of respect not because it's nice to do, but because it is super smart business to do. Good humans are good business. Thanks to Bonnie Lowe Craman, international thought leader and author of Staff Matters for presenting us a playbill for a new future of work and for reminding us that the act that matters most is being a class act when it comes to how you treat the people around you. Thanks again for joining us today, Bonnie, on Success From Anywhere, because success is not a destination, success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time.